Sustain 267. Welcome to the Sustain 267 podcast, where we host conversations on different issues affecting climate change and sustainability in Botswana and the rest of Africa. I am your host, Patukili Siti. Making up 5% of total global population, indigenous people manage about 20% of our land, making them an integral part of addressing climate change and protecting the environment. In this episode of Sustain 267 podcast, I'm in conversation with two indigenous people of Africa who attended COP26 in November 2021. Please note this episode was recorded shortly after COP26, although you're only hearing it now. Before I share the conversation, I would like to invite you to be part of the production of Sustain 267 podcast. If you have learned from the conversations that we host and feel they are important and would like to assist with the production of future episodes, please become a Sustain 267 patron from as little as $3 or 30 pula a month. For this episode, I'm joined by Nalechi Lechi Tipa, who is with the Pastoral Indigenous Non-Governmental Organization Forum in Tanzania. They work with different issues with the aim to raise the voices of Indigenous people on different platforms. We're also joined by the chairperson of the Indigenous People's Coordination Committee for the SADC region, Hasimo Tosatau who is joining us from Shakawe in Botswana. He is with the Trust for Okavango Cultural and Development Initiatives, or TOKADI. They work on community mobilization and training, advocacy, human rights, and community health. I'll add the social media pages and websites to the two organizations in the episode notes if you'd like to know more about them. In this episode, we look to unpack what happened before during and what will happen post COP26. First, I asked how their journey to COP26 was. My journey was, uh, like I say, it went smoothly. This was not my first COP. I've been in the COP, which was in Spain, and also have been in different intersectional meetings in, in Germany, which were under the UNFCC. So I had some understanding on traveling to these meetings and uh, what is clearly needed. So my presentation just came a bit late due to the situation we had first as the country because we are in the red line. Uh, red line countries uh, under the UK. So we we were supposed to have, to have the quarantine until they came to remove us from uh, from the red line. So after that, now the accreditation come and um, based on uh, getting the visa and other issues went smoothly. What was the problem was the main uh, testing of COVID and other things because it was my first time for testing COVID, but I already took my vaccination. So it was just fear of taking the COVID test, but everything went. Oh, sorry about that. That can be quite um, uncomfortable, all that poking and prodding. Satao, how was your journey to COP26? Uh, you know, Botswana going to UK, it is much easier. You don't need a visa to go there. That made life even much easier. However, the journey was okay for me. It was smooth. Getting involved was smooth. Why? Because we were directly invited by the UNFCCC Secretariat. That even made things more easier. They provided guidance on what the what are the requirements and all that. Apart from that logistical arrangement, that was made easy for us to follow. Part of it is COVID, is what we know here, 72 hours, the late, latest PRC test for you to arrive upon your arrival in UK. 
So we have to follow that as well. And yes, we went there. Having traveled around the world even made me a bit more flexible to adapt to any changing condition upon arrival. It's not like when you arrive at the airport, you find somebody waiting for you. You come to the airport, your accommodation is about the next 150 or so kilometers along because we arrived in Glasgow and the airport in Glasgow City and the accommodation was in Edinburgh. So it's another one hour, 30 minutes drive. Down there, arriving in the evening, you have to go through expensive taxi fares because I have I was not I have not familiarized myself with other cheaper means to arrive to the accommodation facility. Thereafter, there were colleagues I met. We met Nalena Lady, others who were already there, some working under the secretariat who provided that escort and mentoring role. We had people assisting us at that end, doing the registration, and of course, meeting folks and engaging to climate issues or climate matters during the conference. Right. I'm glad that both of you had fairly smooth journeys. Now, once on the ground, how was that experience in terms of um, attending the negotiations, if you attended any, the side events? There were a few reports online about the sidelining of some communities, such as youth, indigenous people, and of other communities. Did you experience any of this during those, I think it's 12 days of COP26? Particularly, I can say that one of the thing first to understand uh, in COP, we have several meetings. Everyone is there. So it's very diverse. You need first to understand, clearly, what are you following? If you are following a certain thing, it's good for you to understand the whole process to the end. But for COP26, it was much easier because I was purposely an indigenous knowledge holder. So I went there to share the indigenous knowledge that we have and how is it working, especially to the situation that we are facing of climate change. So our main side event was based on the caucus of the indigenous people. It was um, well arranged, as even Sata was explaining. We had the secretary who were escorting us from uh, from our hotel up to the to the venue, and even after the the, the caucuses that will be. But despite just uh, following the focus of indigenous uh, people, uh, for the person that have been working with the issues of climate change here in Tanzania and even at the national level in different uh, platforms, I had my other ways I can uh, I was following. So before I went to the COP, I asked myself what will I be following and what the result will I need at the end of the day. Uh, after the COP. Like Nye has touched many, many of the experiences could be similar to what I've experienced. However, the difference for this one compared to previous COPs was that we were pre-booked. The, the arrangement was pre-planned, where we are going to go, the time we are going to spend there. I did not have in, uh, enough time to benefit from other side events. As she said, some activities were running concurrently, NGOs, lobby, uh, side events, and so forth. We came there, we went into into indigenous caucus, whereby we share experience, indigenous ideologies, climate change, and relative matters. From there, this time it was really important that the secretariat gave us audience and our our residence in there was uh, aligned according to 
this relationship with uh, the Secretariat has provided for us. After talking together as indigenous folks, we had an opportunity to sit and uh, the second activity was to sit and engage with the Secretariat with other state parties who were present there, whereby uh, the, we had the opportunity to share our experiences and knowledge holders and encourage state parties to get us involved as human element should be or must be play a central role into combating challenges posed to the world by climate change. That is the difference from previous uh, COPs that I've attended, whereby I would be like going around, see what others are doing and so forth and so forth. And only on the rest of the day on Sunday, I was also invited. I had two invitations for side events. One I couldn't attend. This was like an uh, uh, invitation received from Botswana Climate Network. I couldn't join there much because I was engaged on the other side. And the second invitation was for oil and gas exploration in Dokabango Delta. Uh, there was an activism in, 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 in uh, about that uh, at, at George Street. I managed to attend to that and give a brief presentation on that, condemning, condemning oil and gas exploration at the verge of discussions being made about the, the, the proceeds of oil and gas that the climate or the, the, global, the global communities are experiencing. So all in all, it was well. Going back to now the communities that the community that you represent, why was it important for you to attend COP26? Why was it important for you to be represented there? You know what? To start with, uh, the, who I represent are the indigenous communities, particularly in the context of Africa. We still grapple with issues of identity. Africa, the African Commission has has acknowledged that African leaders or African states are not yet comfortable with the issues of who are indigenous. So having that background, indigenous people's views, world views, indigenous uh, governance and management systems doesn't form part of day-to-day -day development discussions, doesn't form part of the mainstream uh, conservation or environmental conservation discourse. So that on its own is a challenge. We are far behind like other worlds whereby indigenous ideologies have been integrated into mainstream systems and they have benefited or they have ripped from that involvement. So being an indigenous person coming from indigenous communities who are not represented or whose ideas doesn't form part of the negotiation. It was a better opportunity to go there, one, to learn and appreciate the trend, what is happening, what is the what agreements are made at the global platforms. And being at that position, I'm able to understand what's going on so that the message is easily relayed back to the communities, at least to be informed at this level and where possible allow and give where possible also input ideas this is mm. this exclusion uh, has been the, the result of the, the the poverty ladder you know that they are living below poverty ladder they, they, they have been mm. marginalized 
and all the associated impacts of being exclude, excluded from the from the from the development systems. So as an indigenous person representing them and the organizations working for them, it is ideal moment for us to I know what is happening globally, what the what 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 resolutions are being made that could directly or indirectly impact on us and having that information and knowledge and share it back to the various uh, sectors is really important. Having that information firsthand would be beneficial. As an indigenous person, particularly from Africa, where indigenous peoples and indigenous knowledge or indigenous identity is not a fashionable uh, topic to, to discuss. I would like just to add a few, few things, but uh, despite um, just be representing the indigenous community, also despite the communities of Africa or the countries of Africa, not most of them recognize or appreciate the indigenous people. In other parts of the world, like the Latin America and other parts, the indigenous people are well recognized and there have been a lot of their voices in regards to the issues of climate change and their main indigenous knowledge that has been part of them and how Mother Earth has been their priority in conserving the, the, the environment and even in conquering the issues of climate change through the adaptation and mitigation strategy through their... It's because even ourselves, part of our, our representative from different... Uh, we appreciate different organizations that work with indigenous people. They have been also airing, even from Africa, trying to put out uh, what the indigenous communities have been concerning the IK and how it has been one of the key phenomena in conserving the environment or even going beyond in adapting the situation of climate change. As a knowledge holder and uh, one of the persons from the indigenous community. It was a honor to be part there sharing the inside, the grassroots community, IK, from my the community that we live in and how they have been their priority, but also airing their voices out to the world that we all know the issues of climate change hit everyone in his own uh, way. And... Uh, Indigenous people are among of the people also be hit by the situation of climate change. But the situation of leaving anyone behind is not allowed. Everybody should be part. We are not there to be decided on, but we are here also to put our ideas forward for the mother earth survival. Thank you for that, Nay. You touched, Nay, on the lack of recognition of Indigenous African people. And then, Satao, you also mentioned that it's not fashionable to be an Indigenous person in Africa, which makes it a little more challenging for you as compared to, let's say, maybe globally or just for Indigenous people from the global North. Is the experience any different for African representatives of Indigenous people as compared to perhaps the global Northern Indigenous representatives on platforms or specifically, was it any different at COP26? COP participation was more on heavy knowledge holders, indigenous knowledge holders, exchanging ideas and sharing the idea for the betterment of climate climate change or climate resiliency models that indigenous communities has. That way we share as equal partners. However, 
along the lines of trying to know the backgrounds of who are who are who who, who do we have as indigenous people, you would realize that some indigenous development processes and acknowledgement and progressive progressiveness has is like in Africa we are more or less 50 years behind from other indigenous communities. Say example the Sami of Finland, Norway and Sweden or Germany, or I mean or uh, Russia. They are so advanced, they've been integrated into the system, they have a voice, they have a contribution into their national development. Uh, same applies to the Maori of New Zealand, same applies to Australia, you know what is going on with the aborigines of Australia, not to talk about the Inuits in Canada. They are, they are governments have integrated them in the system, integrated in terms of recognizing their rights, their indigenous rights uh, for self-determination. This, when compared to Africa, we realize we are far much behind, such that uh, you know that the meaning of indigenous people has, has been questionable, something that has been uh, highly politicized and debated in Africa, that um, in Africa you cannot use the, the element of uh, aborigin, aboriginality to, 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 to identify somebody as a rightful uh, residence of the area. We are all indigenous in Africa, but the idea, the idea, the ideas behind indigenous rights is more about a human rights approach. The same way you can talk about a child's rights in Africa. We have African child, but they need protection due to the vulnerability of that particular society, society of children, same applies as indigenous peoples. We have United Nations defined uh, uh, frameworks of who is indigenous, who are, which are the challenges which we have inherited across the world. The challenges are more or less the same, but when we come to African governments, they dispute that, particularly on the matter of who is our original to Africa, who is Aboriginal to Botswana. In Botswana, like the African, other Africans say, we are all indigenous. Yet, in Sadiq region, for example, they had under Maputo protocols, the Sadiq social charter recognize human rights elements for the indigenous peoples or marginalized peoples. Similar, I mean, along the framework of the United Nations uh, human rights and fundamental freedoms charters. So, I have seen African government addressing indigenous issues in more abstract ways, and it doesn't trickle down to implementation to the grassroots to see it happening. At least for the Namibia, they have done it. They've identified who are indigenous to Namibia. South Africa as well did that and listed who are indigenous to South Africa. But from Botswana, we are all indigenous. What is so important about you? And you will agree with me, Pato, that for over half a century, uh, the Sen or the, the Khoi Sen in Botswana have been uh, 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 below poverty ladder, they in the fringes or, or peripheries of urban centers or villages, have been marginalized, have been excluded, and their worldview, their traditional economies doesn't form our national economy, doesn't feed into our national economy or development perspectives. Hence, they have been completely disconnected from their worldview, 
from their world economy, from their world understanding, from their perceptions and aspirations. Therefore, they have to or they must assimilate to mainstream society cultures in order to be regarded as people. So, you see, the challenges, regardless of how much effort and money Botswana has put through, for example, into developing the sand, it is literally failed. It is literally failed because they couldn't assimilate. Just like you cannot assimilate to be a hunter-gatherer as a way of life, and they have failed to assimilate into mainstream Botswana uh, cultures. So, and again, extending to debate and deny indigenous sand or indigenous people's rights in Botswana is, is we are living in self-denial as a country. You'll agree with me when I say we'd rather go and benchmark in Australia, the Australia who has acknowledged and identified their indigenous knowledge of people and have integrated the knowledge into development, into science. We go there and benchmark in Australia and bring it here, yet we do not recognize our own and utilize that bed of knowledge, that wealth of knowledge our indigenous societies are heavy. So deny indigenous or send people their indigenous identity from the Botswana experience is not only excluding them from their, uh, their inspirations, but also is denying other Botswana the wealth of knowledge that Botswana could benefit from, that Botswana could trade on as a region as Africa as well, the knowledge that we can trade in how I wish to see people coming from Europe and also benchmarking, paying for that knowledge. So excluding the indigenous people, failure to identify them is suicidal. We are living in self-denial. That is my contribution regarding the experiences of indigenous people in Botswana or in Africa. Thanks, Satong. So would this then mean that you've got more recognition as indigenous people on a platform like COP26 as compared to in your homes, um, just before we go on to Nai. Absolutely. You are right to say that. Because why? Botswana voted in favor of United Nations Declaration of the Rights of the Indigenous People. When Namibia acknowledges and identifies its own, that Botswana have used the semantics to hide that the reason why I'm saying we are living in self-denial. We deny the existence of our own indigenous people who across the border has been acknowledged and identified using the same narratives we find under the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of the Indigenous People. Thank you, Sato. Um, Nay, I pose the same question to you. Is the experience of African Indigenous peoples different as compared to the Indigenous people of the Global North on global platforms like COP26? What has your experience been? Um, first of all, uh, Satawa spoke a lot in regards to the recognition of um, the indigenous people in Africa, specifically in most of the part of Africa. In my country, indigenous people is a uh, first the notion of it is a uh, is seen to be um, you are trying to pull out like tribalism, a group of people to be identified self and so forth, but. Uh, uh, as you stated, there are a number of framework that are down. The Africa Commission for Human Rights has clearly stated, and, and most of our uh, most of our nations can only 
identify the indigenous people when it come into signing multi financial multi uh, project. Uh, maybe there is a project to be run with the World Bank or other European uh, um, uh, companies that they already have policy that identifies this community. It's when now you can see our government or even institution trying to love now the indigenous community. As he even stated that it's just a self-denial that you don't recognize the communities that automatically inside your, your country. Um, there is a notion that many of us understand indigenous people as a, they don't want to change, but this is the livelihood these people live on. This is the ecosystem they have. They came out with it. For instance, the indigenous community in Tanzania, maybe they passed through with themselves. They are always blamed, always blamed to be the, the destroyers of the environment. But if you try to learn and clearly understand the life of this community live, they are custodian of the conservation of the environment. Most of the national parks that you can see now in Tanzania, they were once the ancestral land. They have their own indigenous way of land use plan, but we tend only to praise and receive uh, from other people, thinking that the knowledge we have with this community that live inside our country is not viable or it's not supposed to be adopted. Just because of the only one person who did the research and come out with resources without learning the livelihood of certain group, you deny the certain group its own right to be recognized. That's not the only thing. If you come to these uh, uh, different meetings that we go like the COP, our nation is there. They are always there. We had also a caucus with the parties. The only African countries that only attended was only in Namibia and one that I don't remember, but only Namibia was there from the beginning to the end. There were other nations from outside, from the Canada, Finland. We had the Norway. They were recognizing this community and giving part as a government. What do we think? This community be living in their localities and impressing their own communities. But in Africa, it has been a failure. But we only recognize this community when it comes to project, which is totally wrong. These communities are supposed to be acknowledged, recognized, and also be part of different um, development in our communities as other communities really learn it, but also take time to learn the livelihood of these communities. Then I guess maybe... Um I've started this conversation maybe at level five when we should be starting the conversation at just including indigenous voices within our communities and countries before we even get to global platforms such as COP26. Yeah, you are right. That's yes. the reason you are right. As this, it is, it is appeasing what we have learned from other, other states around the world. I remember when we lobbied for, for the inscription of the Ogobangwa Delta Samuel Heritage Site. Uh, there were other properties around the world which were enlisted with subject of inscription. And it was so amazing to see other states working together with their indigenous communities and the minister allowing the indigenous communities to, de, to present 
their position and how they are involved in the process. It doesn't even take a lot of energy of the state because we already have people who have knowledge into that. And we already have people who have means on how these things could be done. That is quite a PC. Compared to us, our parties would rather hide from us. Our parties would rather not want to talk to us. And we are, we are often looked at as threat, a threat, in fact, and people who are trying to disrupt. That's how we are looked at. While we are not supposed to be looked at that, because what you are talking about is for, uh, uh, um, what we are talking or dealing about, especially at COP, is something that affects us as people. Yes, a state is in leadership playing a leadership role, but at the end of the day, ignoring me, you are ignoring some person's ideas and knowledge that can be beneficial to everybody. So uh, just because the indigenous, the, the term indigenous is not applicable to us, uh, it makes a bigger challenge as you said it. Like I suggested it very well, it's better to address it locally than then, then take it from there going forward into international platform. Our proximity at international platform is also uh, an advocacy strategies as indigenous societies to put pressure at uh, UN bodies. This is where we know our parties or state parties submit to, to see the gap that still exists. For example, though Buswana voted in favor of UN trip and came back and did not recognize its own indigenous population. So what are we? You will go into our libraries, you go into our universities, researches after researches. Botswana also went ahead to invite uh, UN special rapporteurs, independent rapporteurs, to evaluate what is happening on the ground. And they've issued recommendations after recommendations for Botswana to yield calls of the ILO Convention 169, for Botswana to yield calls of the United Nations Declaration of, of the Rights of the Indigenous People, for Botswana to heed calls from African Commission. So, but all in all, you know, the fate of our fellow men lies in the hands of our governments. It's, it is their decision to see how they put that. And again, it doesn't as well represent our state well, uh, because uh, Indigenous people's rights are not an individual right. It's a, it's, a, it's a human right, which we need to, to, to respect if we say we respect uh, human rights. Uh, and we therefore, with that, we envisage that, uh, for example, Africa and Botswana, we should see inclusion of indigenous peoples as peoples. And they have a way of their own future based on their own cultures, identities, and hopes. And stop thinking that, like many have said, it would bring uh, disunity, it would bring uh, division into the society. That is not true. We know that today, the same, for example, to be precise, their cultures are under threat in some cases to a point of extinction due to forced assimilation into the mainstream cultures and development paradigms. Some become subject of eviction from their land or being denied access to natural resources 
upon which their survival as people depends on. Therefore, their survival, the survival of their particular way of life, which we know are dependent on their access to their uh, access and right to their traditional lands and their identity. So denying them that because they say they are indigenous, though the same in the region identify themselves as indigenous. We have a big challenge, madam. We have a very, very big challenge. We have a no long way to go to Botswana, in Botswana, from, from, particularly from Botswana, to, uh, to address this. Uh, we truly do have a long journey ahead of us. Um, I still find it very interesting that the global stage uh, is an easier avenue of addressing climate justice for indigenous people and has been the path of least resistance. It's true because uh, most of the time the indigenous platform, uh, the international platform has been part of where we air some of our, of our different countries. Um, basically, if I speak about my country, um, there are a lot of perception, especially in regards to the issues of indigenous people. But also, um, we have been going through a number of um, uh, a number of evictions, a number of uh, violation of human rights, a number of um, unnecessary claims that are happening to the indigenous people. And uh, if uh, our own government sometimes uh, become the one who who are the one doing such, but the international spheres and international platform become the one and that air out issues of the, uh, for the communities to be better on. Uh, there are a number of cases that um, sometimes uh, it's hard to share, but we have a number of cases, especially in Tanzania, that through the international platform and other spheres, these issues came to be viewed or came to be seated on and even drilled into and understanding them. A good example is the case of Ngorongoro Conservation Area. The Maasai have been a dominant of that area. They have been living there from centuries. They have been a custodian of that, that uh, area. But today, they are accused. They are being evicted from their motherland just because of uh, not understanding the real livelihood of these communities. But the international, uh, the national platform and the uh, spheres have been part of it, trying to, uh, to work on it. The last regime could not even listen on issues like that, but we are still living on the hangover of that regime. So sometimes these spheres or this platform really help in airing situations of indigenous people at different uh, localities may not be only in uh, Botswana, but even beyond Tanzania and other part of Africa. We can see that. But thank you, Ney. Um, it's, it's also disheartening to hear that it's not only in Botswana, it's not only in Tanzania, but it's throughout the continent. So I think in now beginning to conclude our conversation, you went to COP and now the, most of us now know of the COP outcomes. What are your thoughts on the outcome of COP26 and what will its direct impact on Indigenous people be? Was this COP a success or a failure for Indigenous communities? Uh, I can say it's um, 
uh, of course, uh, everyone has his own uh, how we understood. The COP has been uh, one of the places that we have been going. Uh, COP26 wasn't uh, that smooth the way people, everybody is speaking about. And we are seeing that um, the COP is uh, kind of a number of failures that arose during the COP. And uh, there are issues that we expected, but 70% of it has totally is failure. But if we come to the indigenous communities, um, we were able to share our thoughts. And even in the closing of the call, there was a thought being uh, aired out. And even the secretary being part of us by uh, hosting the indigenous knowledge holder and uh, listening to what we had and air out our, our claims uh, to the, the COP. I won't speak much because there's a lot we are still doing on trying to instead and inside uh, properly the issues of the COP because it was just a few weeks ago and uh, come out to the paper really if uh, even if it's uh, we are seeing a 70% as there's a lot of failure that we have uh, observed but if you see from the African perspective, perspective from the members the parliament from the African uh, continent could be enabled uh, to to cope with the situation of climate change. But currently, uh, as um, one of the person who went to the COP, I'm still working on it to come out to see the real um, has been part of the negotiation and even sharing different issues in regard to our communities. Yeah. The UNFCCC, uh, that framework, is for all member states as much as we are, we are all aware of that. That is world leaders. All our world leaders are involved in this. Uh, therefore, this uh, COP26 means that this is number 26 meeting of conference of parties engaging on issues of climate injustice and needs needing to commit towards delivering to or commit to deliver on the on the previous agreements and commitments that could hold the emission levels. Well, uh, having that understanding, this, this COP thing, I don't see it working because we need finance, we need a big amount of money to finance energy transition. Uh, listening to the debates to meet the 1.5 degree temperature threshold. Uh, and that thing alone remains a main gap among member states. You know, what we see or have, what I've experienced in, experienced in my involvement in this process, I have seen that among the enemies of progress is individualism, greed, and varying ideologies of development, uh, whereby state parties are not making consensus among them, especially those influential members, uh, particularly uh, first world nations. Uh, that alone tend to weaken set mandates towards climate commitments, making, therefore, this is making the COP looking or looks like staged acts and not a reality. Well, there is, there is development finance challenges, as I said, among developing countries, particularly in Africa, which could adapt to the new energy transition. But due to budgetary constraints, uh, that is impossible. Hence, 
they continue following their usual or existing energy energy trend for their development uh, by trading, for example, into using coal, oil, and gas, or their oil, gas, and coal reserves. This is mainly on the side of African governments, as I said. So they continue to use their oil and gas reserves to provide for their nations. So you see, this is the, 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 the dilemma we are having, especially that China has not been present mainly during the COP, which we have noted. And regardless of pro-climate states, there is division among member states. Locally, you know what is the energy, the energy promotion lines are, like the coal has been said, uh, not to live around or leave behind the oil and gas exploration, if, uh, exploration that has been exploration licenses that we could still continue or have issued to some, some companies in the Ogavango Basin, River Basin, which we know uh, after a lot of investment, which has already been done into biodiversity conservation, particularly the Ogavango, and yet we are giving in some people to explore for a potential uh, uh, industrialization of oil and gas in the area, which you and I are all aware that is not compatible given the current status of the area, that being Ogavango, the Ogavango Delta B, the under UNESCO World Heritage Tentative Sites, or World, UNESCO World Heritage Protection, and adjacent to it is the Sodido Hills World Heritage Site. These areas, are these sites are both protected, and these are the sites where the fracking and the oil exploration is going to happen. And again, under those status, the area is not compatible to this business. So why do we continue to explore something that is not going to exist or something that is not going to be operationalized in the area? So we see this political influence, this how the state parties want to see their country at country level, their developments, energy developments uh, championed. However, not ignoring the fact that we have already in Botswana invested in biodiversity conservation and bringing in oil and gas in the area, particularly of the Agapango, is counteracting our previous achievement into conservation. And you would decide the example of the Niger Delta. What happened to the Niger Delta? Niger Delta is in ruins today. Because of what? Because of the same issue the same oil and gas uh, fracking business. You know, what, what interests me even more is the fact that uh, oil and gas explorations in Europe are not fashionable. Oil and gas explorations or drilling or fracking is not fashionable, even in China. It's not fashionable in Canada. What makes us think as African leaders, as African leaders to think it would work for us at the same time when we are talking about uh, climate, climate change, uh, the clean energy. We need that transition. I'm of, a, I'm of a view of seeing African leaders or many or many leaders in the world going or moving towards energy transition from crude to clean energy. We are not short of sunlight in Africa. We are not short of wind in Africa. These are some of the energy 
clean energy trend that exists elsewhere, that have been tested elsewhere. We have seen some leaders around the world parading their solar projects, few solar projects there and there, trying to convince others that this is the way to go. While we know that many nations are still into fissile and into pollution. And having this again, as I said, the oil and gas in our area, that is the maximum pollution that we could ever make in Botswana so far. And like I said, the COP thing, yes, we talk, we reason, but it remains with African governments or states and who are their masters. We know in Africa, our leaders have their masters and they would always uh, uh, see what is their master's willingness are and they would follow. And what is their business partner's willingness are and they would follow. And uh, uh, clean energy, transition to clean energy becomes a, an, an illusion to many of us regardless of the reasoning or regardless of climate uh, disasters that we experience. COVID is one of the ex experiences that, we have, that has shown the world how the, 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 the globe itself, the universe itself, self could, uh, could spat on top of mankind. And it has already taught us we are not immune to, to disasters that are global. And it is a very important and critical time in history of human nature to work together for common goal. Don't care about, to, to put aside our pocket issues, our business issues, and work at least let our pocket and money issues go towards clean energy transition. So that is my take on that, Madam Park. Thank you, Satawa. Um, a very detailed take. You, you touched on Save the Okavango, the um, drilling that's happening in the Okavango Delta currently. Um, if anyone is curious about that and would like to learn more about it, Satawu and I previously had a conversation on it on an earlier episode of Sustain 267. Um, I'll link the episode in the episode notes. Um, and the title of that episode, if you want to go and check it out, is hashtag Save the Okavango Delta. Now, Ne and Satawu, as we close our conversation, our last question, you've, you both went to COP, you are back from COP. What are the next steps and how may we as individuals listening to the podcast, as organizations and as nations support you? So this is a call to action at all levels, so we can all get involved. What are your next steps and how can we support you? Satau? Uh, my next step is already here. It's talking to you is one of my next steps for the podcast. And again, for the beneficiary communities where I work with, or uh, particularly the indigenous communities, need to know this. And we, our community development goal has been shifted for, towards clean energy. Uh, we are going to promote that. We need financial resources, particularly, uh, for example, to be relevant. We are doing community cattle clusters. Uh, uh, we are dealing with uh, same communities who are landless. So over time, we have helped them secure land rights and with limited resources to develop it on their own as an organization or as an entity, we supported them uh, to drill water uh, from the boreholes 
and equipped with diesel engines. So having realized diesel is not sustainable, we have shifted that to the solar energy for their portable drinking water, which is one of the things that is on our pipeline. And so far we were able to turn to, to, to migrate about three borehole sites to all solar energy. And we, we also already also have a catalog of land rights still remaining undeveloped where we need resources, money. It's a capital investment to drill and equip a borehole. So we are not going to get it from small grants. So we want the money. But if you are able to fundraise for this fundraise, don't think I'm going to charge the money straight away. The budgets go to drilling and equipping and people are drinking and are happy. People are able to sustain their livelihoods. Then we bring in some modern uh, uh, innovation into new or modern farming techniques for food security, for, 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 for enterprise development at community level. These are the things that we are doing and we are going, going to continue to encourage among our community climate smart agriculture, climate sensitive interventions are the way and also teach our children our children, and create that base of awareness at community level to be climate watchdogs, to be climate warriors, to, be, to introduce their indigenous or traditional climate resistance ways. And even when we ignore climate change, one way or the other, it's directly going to already affecting us. So this is the line of our engagement from now onwards, to encourage, to lobby community, government, private sector, to reason together along climate resilient ways. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Sustain 267 podcast. If you'd like to directly support the work of Indigenous communities, find Satau and Nai's email addresses in the episode notes and links to the organization's websites. Please also subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast so you are the first to know when we publish a new episode of Conversations with Africans on Climate Change and Sustainability in Botswana and the rest of Africa. I am the host of Sustain 267 podcast, Batukili Siti. And the sound engineer is Malehoma Khoti. Let's connect on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on our handle at Sustain267. Take care. Sustain267.